This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, It is the duty of youth to bring fresh new powers to bear on social progress. Each generation of young people should be to the world like a vast reserve force to a tired army. They should move the world forward. That is what they are for. End quote. Those are the words of humanist, author, and feminist Charlotte Perkins Gilman. You may never have heard of Charlotte Perkins Gilman, a little bit of an obscure figure from history, but a very important one. She was born July 3rd, 1860, in Hartford, Connecticut, and died August 17, 1935, at the age of 75, in Pasadena, California. She's another one of those people who lived through that really interesting period of time where she was old enough to remember the American Civil War, and then also saw things like the first automobile, the sinking of the Titanic, etc., etc. She didn't make it all the way to World War II, but she definitely saw World War I as an adult. Now, when she was young, her father abandoned her and her mother and her sibling. Interestingly, her deadbeat father, Frederick Beecher Perkins, was related to several noteworthy women. Now, the name Beecher might sound familiar to you. One of his aunts was, in fact, the Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And two of his other aunts doubtlessly had strong influences on her after their nephew ran out on his family. Isabel Beecher Hooker was a noted suffragist, and Catherine Beecher was an educationalist which I didn't know what an educationalist was. Turns out it is an expert in education theory and practice. And though she grew up extremely poor after her father abandoned them, her life was not to continue that way indefinitely. You see, after she moved to Pasadena, California, following a separation from her first husband, she became an active social advocate. And her career got its start when a poem of hers called Similar Cases was published in The Nationalist magazine. And her collection of essays, entitled The Yellow Wallpaper, soon followed, and then a lecture circuit. And with her pen and her voice, she was able to climb out of poverty and become a well-known advocate for change. You can actually find and read, for free, The Yellow Wallpaper today. It is actually her probably her most noted work. Though, today's quote doesn't come from that, but another one of her works, in fact. A self-published and edited magazine called Forerunner. And you can find old editions and scans of Forerunner magazine. And this is no short magazine. The one that I found that has today's quote in it from the early days is dozens and dozens of pages long. This is not a small magazine. And again, this is a woman at the turn of the century who is publishing this and editing it all herself. It's incredible. And it took quite some time to actually track down this publication, because if you Google this quote, a lot of what you get is what I've talked about before, just the simple background with some words on it and no source, no provenance. Which I can't fault people for. Not everybody cares as deeply about tracking down the provenance of things as I do. But it can be very frustrating when you go to the different places for it. Even going to the Oxford English Dictionary's Encyclopedia of Quotes, and you can't even find this one. It took a lot of work to find this, and sometimes I outright fail at this, and we've done a few episodes where I leave them as anonymous or unknown. And that's annoying, but it's to be expected, especially as we look at older quotes. This one is not our oldest by many, many, many years, 
But documentation has not always been as great as it is today. It's something that we should consider ourselves fortunate of. Certainly, it has its downsides. As people say, once you put it on the internet, it's there forever. And that's mostly true, although things are lost to the internet fairly regularly. As I heard somebody talking about the other day, digital storage is actually, potentially, less viable in some ways than hard copy forms of storage. And as I said, documentation was not always as great as it is today, and it's the key to us finding these things, really, and finding the provenance of these things, because otherwise they could have been said by anyone. They could have been co-opted by anyone. Much as I do here, I repeat and parrot back quotes and sometimes paraphrase them. If those quotes aren't documented somewhere, then you could misattribute them to me, even though they're not my words. More amazing, I think, in this particular case, is that someone kept and took the time to scan and upload to the internet some random, obscure magazine that ran for less than a decade. I think it ran for seven years total. That is actually amazing. The fact that somebody would want to go back and look at Forerunner magazine from the early 19-teens is incredible. I say that as if I didn't do that exact thing in order to give you the rich history of this quote. But all of that to say, I am grateful. Anyway, our quote comes from a 1912 edition of the magazine, and it's nestled in a thought-provoking and short article entitled, appropriately, What Young People Are For. Well, if that title alone doesn't pique your interest, I don't know what will. But before I go into reading the quote again and examining it just a bit more, let's consider the title and its question. What are young people for? You may never have thought of that. I know I hadn't before this. But it's an interesting question. Who says they're for anything? Recall that in the late 19th and early 20th century, children served a very different role and place in life than they do now. And it had been that way for a very, very long time. Families had many children because infant and child mortality rates were very high, and there was a lot of work to do to support the family, including work and chores and other things that a more agrarian society than we live in today, even the most rural among us, are the benefactors of a huge industrialization and modernization of the world. You really have to try to get so to speak, off the grid, which is why we have TV shows and miniseries about living off the grid, because it's such a novelty nowadays. Now imagine that everybody, or the bulk majority of people, were living this way. There's an endless slew of chores from before sunup to after sundown. It only makes sense that a family trying to survive in a harsh environment, very subject to the weather and seasons and their geographic location, would need to have many hands. What's the best way to have many hands? Have many children. And it was only as the Industrial Revolution came about that this really began to change. When Gilman actually wrote this, it was the dawning of a new relationship between children and their families. Families had begun to shrink. Waning were the days of five or more children. Today, that number is much lower. I believe the American average hovers just over two children per family. That's vastly different than it was at the turn of the 20th century. And that relationship was changing. Children were becoming less of a hired hand, so to speak, for the family. Today, some would argue, the pendulum has swung way too far in the other direction. And parents are now the hired hands of the children, carting them to all manner of activities and such. And that's a different episode, and I am probably the least qualified person to speak on such matters. So let me read the quote to you one more time, and then we'll go from there and examine it a bit further. Gilman says, quote, 
It is the duty of youth to bring fresh new powers to bear on social progress. Each generation of young people should be to the world like a vast reserve force to a tired army. They should move the world forward. That is what they are for. End quote. So this is a very different perspective on childhood and on what the role of a young person is to society than what it was before. Before, it was to serve the family. Her argument is, is that it's neither for the child to serve the family nor the family to serve the child, but both to serve society. And Gilman's observation here and challenge is that children and their parents actually owe something to society. If you go and actually read the article, which again, the title is thought-provoking enough alone, and the fact that it is short means that it's worth a read, if for nothing else, just out of curiosity to get a person's perspective on what children are for. And if you read the article, Gilman talks about how children have been too much just allowed to kind of float through things. They haven't been taught a sense of responsibility and moral requirement to the society in which they live. And that is the fault of the parents for not instilling that in them. Parents must allow and encourage their children to challenge the status quo. Children must push the ball forward. Not just children, but young people, right? We're talking not, I'm not talking about a five or six-year-old making a public policy decision here. I'm talking about teenagers and late teens and early adults who have been nurtured throughout their lives to challenge the way things are done and to seek out better ways to do things, to actually do so. That's incumbent upon the parents because how else would a child know that this is their responsibility, at least according to Gilman? Parents must teach them the moral obligation that they have to society. This is parents' moral obligation to society. Parents, part of the older generation, must teach the younger generation a sense of responsibility for what their role is, just as the parents have their role. So everybody has a role. And this benefits society by actually advancing it, but also by creating a sense that not only do you get to bask in the benefits of society, but you actually owe it, as she refers to it in the article, labors and duties. And certainly this applies today. Often generations that follow your own or our own are poo-pooed and laughed at, right? If you think of all the times that you've heard somebody say something along the lines of, oh, spoiled millennials, or, no, oh, this is just another one of those instant gratification generations that don't want to work for anything, or back in my day, and on and on and on. If that's you, I'm not here to publicly shame you, but shame on all of us for thinking that way about the generations that follow ours. They are a byproduct of us, quite literally. And it is our responsibility to instill in them a sense of responsibility for the society in which we all live. And we may not like certain aspects of where they're trying to go, and we can certainly intervene to an extent. We don't have to give up all of our rights just because there's a bunch of people younger than us running around. But it's their future world, not ours. And that can be hard to stomach. But as Gilman puts it, it's our duty to do so, because it is through this that we advance society. That's how we make forward progress. Just some food for thought this week, as you go about your travels for the holidays. Think about it. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback 
And thanks as always for listening.